my welcome as well. Let's worship God together. Our first hymn is the hymn, This is My Father's World. Let's stand. Let's pray together. God, who by your spirit hovered over the waters at creation, brooding over what you would make. As you breathed life into our world, you were so expectant. What you made did not let you down. How could it? It was made exactly how you wanted it to be. It was made by your very word. Good God who loves us and loves our world. We confess that we and our world are broken. We and our world are broken and it is our fault. By our sin we have failed the rest of creation. We've failed one another and we have failed you. But for all that, Lord, you have not given up on us. You have hope, and you offer us hope. In your mercy and your love, you sent your Son to be our Savior. In your mercy and your love, your love and your hope, you sent him to restore the lost, forgive our sin, Fix what is broken and open the gate to a world that will be shot through with your grace for all eternity. And so this morning we come to worship you. By that same spirit that brooded over creation, we ask you, Lord, to be pleased to walk among us this morning. We ask you to continue your redeeming work among us and through us to a needy world. And now we pray the prayer that Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. And Mike's going to come and bring us our reading this morning from Romans chapter 8. Uh, The reading is from Romans 8, verses 14 to 25. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. 
Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Thanks be to God. God, thank you for all that you give us. Thank you for all your gifts in creation of which we are a part and which we enjoy. Thank you also for your gift in redemption of the Lord Jesus Christ who has come to make us part of this renewed world that you have promised. Lord, take what we offer here and use it for your kingdom purposes here in this church, in our Gillespie Center, and there in Burkina Faso. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. COP26 starts today, and I'm sure you've been inundated with news about climate change and about the, de the decisions that need to be made in Glasgow this week. I came across this book just recently. I've been reading it. It's written by Christiana Figueres and Tom Rivet Karnak. They're two of the architects of the Paris Agreement held in 2016. The book is called The Future We Choose, and it has a subtitle, The Stubborn Optimist Guide to the Climate Crisis. In the book, these two authors outline two scenarios, two very different scenarios 
The first scenario is the world that we are creating and the world that we have been creating for decades. And the second is the world that we must choose if we are going to stem the tide of this crisis that we are facing. The picture of that first of that world that we are creating looks like this. In 2050, the weather worsens. The Sahara Desert now extends upwards into Europe. Stronger, more frequent storms misplace millions of people. People live in their flooded homes because there's nowhere else to go. Global tensions caused by climate change lead to the displacement of millions and social unrest. Diminished water resources cause mass migration, and that mass migration causes militarized border control. Malaria and dengue fever and cholera spread in this warmer world in which we are living. Mired in anger and despair, many, many have lost hope. This is what our world will look like in just 29 years if we do nothing to stem the tide of climate change. If, however... We stick to our commitments made under the Paris Agreement to have greenhouse gas emissions every decade going forward from 2020, and we take other measures, then this, according to the authors, is what our world will look like. The first thing that hits you in this world is the air. The the air is moist and fresh, even in the cities. The air is cleaner than it has ever been since before the Industrial Revolution. You can thank the trees for that, because people have been planting them, and they are everywhere. And our livelihoods will have been transformed. Those who worked in the oil industry and fossil fuel have been trained to build this massive electric rail system. And parking spaces will have been replaced with public parks because we're no longer using our individual vehicles. We've got this wonderful mass transit system for everyone to use. Cities are built for humans and the rest of creation to coexist. And in this world, according to the authors, we have hope and we have goodwill. Temperatures are still rising. It takes time to remove greenhouse gases from the atmosphere. But we have refound our role as stewards of creation. And we rejoice in helping human and non-human life thrive along with us. The authors of this book certainly are stubborn optimists. They're a bit more more optimistic than I am. 
Because I wonder if agreements made at meetings like COP26 can actually bring us things like hope and goodwill or make people rejoice in helping one another. I think for that we need another vision. But be that as it may, the vision of these two authors is a good one. But I think there is an even better one, that one that we need to see hope and goodwill. And that's one that we find in our passage this morning. Paul's vision in Romans 8 doesn't contradict the vision that these authors are putting forward or that those who have put together the Paris Agreement have put forward. But Paul's vision is at one and the same time more realistic and more optimistic than theirs is. Paul's vision gets to the heart of things, but it also embraces all things. It gets to a cosmos that is groaning for liberation, but it also gets to the hearts of men and women women like you and me who also need liberation and need transformation in order for the other liberation to happen. On Tuesday, I met with a group of others to look at this passage in Romans 8 together. And to be honest, it was hard going. Most of those who were at that that study came away saying, I'm going to have to think about all this a little more deeply. There's a lot here in Romans chapter 8 than we could ever hope to cover in an hour's Bible study. And it's, there's certainly more here than we could ever exhaust in a 20-minute sermon. So with that in mind, we're not going to dig deeply into every aspect of this passage, although I'm sure you've got many, many questions about it. I'd like to emphasize just two words in this chapter that stand out for me as, as key to unlocking the meaning of the whole chapter and unlocking Paul's vision. And these two words are groaning and hope. Groaning and hope. Let's look at this word groaning first. I wonder if you ever groan. Do you ever groan? If you never groan, I'd be asking you, in what world do you live Because in this world, there is a great lot of cause for groaning. We groan when we encounter suffering, and all of us suffer. We groan when we're frustrated and things don't go our way. We groan when the good that we want to see happening doesn't happen to us and to those whom we love. Groaning, in fact, has a place in worship. That might be surprising to you. Groaning has a place in worship. The Psalms, which are the people of God's book of praise, are full of groans. There is, in fact, a a whole book in the Bible of groaning. It's called the book of lamentations. Groaning is visceral 
Groaning is something that comes from deep within us. Groaning is often too deep for words. As part of our worship, I'd like us to do a little groaning this morning. Can you groan for me? Let's give it a bit more spirit. Let's groan once more. One, two, three. Uh, I think we need to practice that a bit. (laughs) Though you're probably well practiced at groaning. I I certainly am. Here in Romans 8, Paul says that creation groans. The word translation, uh, translated creation is, is not cosmos as, as we might think here in this passage. Rather, it is a word that means that which was made from the beginning. And that includes us as well. Creation's not just the, uh, the environment, that which is out there. It is that which is in here too. And if you and I can groan... We're part of creation. So the rest of creation can groan as well. Because what was created, all that was created, is as frustrated as you and I are by the state of affairs in which we now live. Paul says that, Creation is frustrated because of us. Paul says that creation groans because of you and me. In order to understand this, we need to go all the way back to chapter 1 of Romans. And to understand Romans 1, we have to go all the way back to Genesis 3. Creation groans according to Genesis 3 because creation is frustrated. Creation is frustrated. It's not able to fulfill its God-given purposes because human beings like you and me have messed up. We first messed up there in Genesis 3 in the garden. And we have been messing up ever since. Climate change is just one example of how we have messed up. Climate change is just one example of how creation suffers because of our messing up. Paul says that because of humanity's sin, all of creation is in bondage to death and decay. According to Paul... We are all to blame for the way the world is. It's not just Adam and Eve who were to blame, but all of us. All of us, no matter who we are, according to Paul, Jew or Gentile, male or female, black or white, first world or third world, we all share the blame. Because according to Paul, As he refers to Genesis, we were made in God's image. And we were meant to care for, serve, and govern the rest of creation. We were meant to govern as God would govern, with wisdom and love. 
But we, all of us, have failed at our calling. We have ruled selfishly. Refusing to listen to God, we have been foolish. And we have led our world to the brink of disaster. That is, in fact, the beginning of Paul's gospel. And he wrote that even before anyone ever heard of climate change. Paul starts his gospel with bad news before he gets to the good news. The good news, however, is unimaginably good, as the bad news is so very, very bad. And here's the good news. Because we have failed to live as we were meant to live, and because we are so trapped by our past actions that we cannot live as we are meant to live, God intervened. God became a human being in the person of Jesus Christ. God in Christ lived a sinless human life. And he died on the cross in our place for our forgiveness. And he rose again to be the first of a new kind of human being, a new kind of humanity that will lead all of creation into new and everlasting life. And as we, as you and I, trust in him, we too become part of God's renewal of all things. And that's where we come to our second key word of this passage, the word hope. Because of the good news of what Jesus has done and what he promises to do, the groaning of creation can now be seen in a new light from a new perspective. Although it still may feel like it, our groaning is no longer a groaning in frustration. Our groaning now is a groaning in anticipation. Our groaning now is a groaning in expectation of something new and wonderful coming into existence, according to Paul. Paul likens the groaning that is common to us and to all creation to a woman giving birth to a child. And I wonder here if Paul is remembering the words of Jesus as recorded for us in John's gospel. Jesus says, a woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So, Jesus says to his disciples and to us, so with you, now is your time of grief. But I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. He speaks of the resurrection. And this is the hope of which Paul speaks, the birth of something new, something new not just for my soul, 
not just for me as an individual, but something new for the whole creation, for bodies and souls, for people, for plants and trees, animals, rocks and rivers. It's a hope of something new. Something new, seen, made real, tasted, touched, and embraced in the resurrection life of Jesus. And though we groan now, though the present sufferings for us are so real, according to Paul, they are not worth comparing to the glory that is to come. The Greek word for hope is elpis. But in Latin, the the word is spero. Spero, hope. It's very close to the Latin word spiro, breathe. I came across this Latin motto the other day that originates with the Roman philosopher Theocritus. Dum spiro spero. It translates, while I have breath, I have hope. While I breathe, I hope. It's the motto of the city of St. Andrews and of the McClellan clan. Do we have any McClellans here today? No. And of that great state of South Carolina. It wasn't... While reading Theocritus or in visiting St. Andrews that I came across this phrase, doom, spiro, a sparrow. But rather in reading a review of a book by a woman called Kate Bowler. The book is called No Cure for Being Human. And the subtitle is, And Other Truths I Need to Hear. Kate is a young mom of 35 And Kate is a professor at Duke Divinity School. And most importantly, Kate is suffering from stage four cancer. In her book, she talks about hope. Hope even in the face of death. As a Christian, Kate has hope even with the tragic circumstances she faces. You see, Christian hope is not wishful thinking. Christian hope is a certainty based on evidence. Christian hope is a certainty based on the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead. So even as Kate faces her own death, she has the hope of what Paul describes here in our passage as the glorious freedom of the children of God. Kate has hope not just that the treatment that she's undergoing will be successful. It probably won't. She has hope that one day she will rise to new life. But she also has hope that the whole of creation will also experience that resurrection and liberation from death and decay. And Kate will be an essential part of that, as will you and I. 
doom spiro sparrow while i breathe i yet have hope breathing breath it's no wonder that in this same chapter where paul outlines the hope of creation he also speaks of the role of the spirit of god the breath of god doom spiro sparrow while i breathe i yet have hope it sound like a desperate motto while i'm still breathing i desperately cling to hope but when i draw that last breath then hope is gone maybe that's what theocritus meant living as he did 300 years before christ and certainly that is how life logically works no breath no life no hope jesus himself of flesh and blood human being when he drew his last breath he died at that moment hope was lost or so it seemed but the bible says god the father gave the spirit gave his breath and by the spirit god breathed life glorious eternal life back into the lungs the very human lungs of jesus and those lungs still breathe today eternally and after his resurrection when jesus met his disciples cowering in a locked room he intentionally breathed on them and he said receive the spirit and they they came to life in the spirit and then they went about breathing on others working wonders connecting people with jesus giving them the spirit and giving them new life and we too if we are in christ if we trust in him we too have that same spirit and it can never be taken from us even when we draw our last mortal breath we have the sure and certain hope of resurrection to eternal life that's what i say at every funeral sure and certain hope of resurrection to eternal life was said over our friend jean just last friday one day god will breathe his spirit into us again and into our sister jean and we will live as jesus lives in eternal glory even now the spirit of god is within us to give us hope life in the spirit of god is aspirational it is a breathing forward breathing forward to something in which we hope not just a dream not just a wishful thought but a breathing forward to something that is more real and more wonderful than we have yet experienced let us then be aspirational in all of life and let's be aspirational no less as we approach the crisis that is called climate change 
Let's be aspirational, knowing that God has promised the renewal of all things through us. And so let's live again as servant rulers, as image bearers of Almighty God. Let's live by breathing in the breath of the servant king, our Lord Jesus. And let's live by our words and actions and wisdom-informed, renewed lifestyles. Let's breathe the breath of life back into creation. This creation that groans in anticipation for what God has promised that he will do. Amen. And may God bless to us this reflection on his word this morning. As we enter into our communion service, let's stand and remind ourselves of what it is we believe. Let's recite together the Apostles' Creed. Together, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, Greater of earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come to judge the living in the dead. I believe in the holy in the holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. God's blessing. Brothers and sisters, go into this week with all of its unknowns, with all of its causes to make you groan. Nevertheless, go with hope. Go with courage. Go knowing that the glory that awaits you and awaits all creation through you is a gift of God. And may the blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, rest and remain with us all evermore. Amen. Amen.